Hello, it's Wednesday, November 12th, 2008, and you're listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is a podcast about the art, the culture, and the madness of Austin, Texas, and its burn community. I'm your host, Lance Hunter. Let's begin. Hello, bright and beautiful burners. This week, I am bringing you an amazing interview with the lovely Laura Lee. Now, I can say without any reservation that Laura Lee is truly an artist. Now, she's created art in a variety of methods, including mixed media, photography, and uh, even installation pieces. Her installation art includes the amazing Greenhouse Project, which has made appearances in Austin as well as Black Rock City, and has even been featured on the Sundance channel. She's created uh, t-shirt screens, um, recycled art, just a huge amount of output. Uh, She's also worked as a tour manager for Austin musician Guy Forsyth, and uh, she's currently at the Chinati Foundation, the... uh, the Art Monastery out near Marfa, Texas. Now this interview is all about art. Art and burn events, art and life, and even art's relation to art. I hope you enjoy hearing the interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Who the hell are you? Oh, geez. I've been asking myself that question all my life and I don't know that I've really come up with any answers. Um, (laughs) I'm Laura Lee Knoll. I'm from Texas, so I get two first names. Yeah. Born and raised in Austin. Uh, yeah, so you're you're a full on artist, eh? Working on it. Working yeah. On it. Yeah, yeah, the, uh, I understand uh, currently um, getting the masters in art, is that right? Well, I'm getting a masters in philosophy, philosophy. with a focus on aesthetics and okay. philosophy of art. So yes, I'm about to go to do my thesis research at the Chinati Foundation in Marfa, which I'm incredibly right, right. excited about. Excellent. You got a, uh, a fellowship there, correct? Uh, it's an internship. internship it's a paid okay. internship where I will be, it's technically an internship, but it is um, my means for doing my research for my thesis. Okay. I'll be focusing on the aesthetic experience, which was very much inspired by my time at Burning Man and in the Burn events. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that we can participate in art and have a real deep aesthetic experience of it and not just a superficial viewing. And so my research will very much be about that, which um, stems from uh, my time in Burning Man and the Burning Man community. Excellent, yeah. And I guess, yeah, tying it into uh, Burning Man, uh, which, which do you attend first, Burning Man or Flipside? Flipside. And my first year was the last year at Red Plant. And I ended up, I I was not planning on going at all that year. And um, it just happened at the very last minute, I think the day before. I'd heard about it for years and years and years, of course, and um, never really made it out there. And then one of my friends from the Kingdom of Slack introduced me into the whole community in grand style. So (laughs) I was eternally grateful. Yeah, oh, the, the slack. Um. Those slackers work too hard. What's up with that? <laughs> okay, we gotta, like, put this mushroom tower up, guys. We gotta make this giant... Uh, yeah. Oh, it... it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so I guess you were with Kingdom of Slack the uh, first few years? For a couple of years. Um, and I camped with Ecstatic Hugs a couple years back. Last year, I was non-affiliated and 
I, I had to keep a foot in the default world. So I actually didn't, I, I didn't spend that much time at Flipside. I wasn't there 24 seven uh, for the first time. And it was kind of, it was kind of weird. I didn't, I wasn't able to be fully um, immersed in the experience, but I had to kind of keep focused on some stuff in the default world to make money and yeah. you know all of that good stuff <laughs> uh yeah what, what are some things you're doing in the default world uh, other than the uh you know working researching for the masters um well yeah chinati's coming up real quick and i've also been tour managing for a local musician named guy Forsyth, and that has been a really amazing experience for me because he's someone although not in the burn community and um, he has an uncanny awareness of all of the or what I take to be many of the concerns that, that burners have with art and the way, you know, that he's, he's very focused on how to bring his music to people in a way that makes them feel like they are participating with it. And he, he does this song called Play to Lose where he hops off stage and he goes and walks through the audience and goes to the bar, orders a drink. And the lyrics of that song really engage the audience and he'll single out a person and sing it to them and it's like a really direct very strong energy it scares some people it excites some people i can tell like some people don't want to be singled out they kind of hide some people are like pick me pick me you know and i really i always love it when he does that um because it it takes his music out of the box out of right. the framework and it makes people have to consider it in a new context. And I really think that's what Burning Man's doing too. And I, I see def like definite parallels there. Um, so working with Guy has been amazing. And uh, last year I was very involved with helping produce and manage Art Outside at the Enchanted Forest, oh, which yeah. was also an amazing experience. And yeah, and then working on my master's degree. It seems like I'm doing, I mean, it's it's very full. I feel like I'm constantly busy and always behind and, you know, always what? have a hundred things to juggle at once. A burner who feels behind on things? That's amazing. <laughs> I, I know, I, right? I, unprecedented. I know, unprecedented. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, that uh, ties into the point you mentioned art outside. Uh, I'm liking the way that I'm doing this all nonlinear or jump to It's great, I love it. <laughs> How would you compare the uh, experience, in, in several ways, experience for the artist and experience for uh, the participant that isn't necessarily bringing art, mm -hmm. uh, for the event like Art Outside compared to Flipside or Burning Man, or burn events in general? Well, I think Art Outside is unique in that you don't have to plan all this time in advance to go. You don't, you know, it's located in a place in, in central Austin where uh, people just stumble upon it. And so there's an opportunity there to reach people who would otherwise never be exposed to any of this. And we would see people come in who were clearly had never seen art like this amongst the trees and outside and with all these crazy freaks and hobos running around making music and performing and, you know, Tyler doing his characters and voices and all of that. And you just see their eyes light up and they it's like for the first time consider the possibility of of what that event could do for this world 
and the community and for us as individuals too. I mean, there's definitely, there are little light bulbs going on all over and you, you know, I, I was very busy running around managing the stages and getting all the acts where they're supposed to be on time. So um, helping produce the event, I wasn't able to enjoy it and I was also almost a little desensitized to it in a way because there was work to be done, you know? It's like, keep your eye <laughs> on the ball and and there's a hundred things that can go wrong at the forest at any given time and sometimes a hundred, all a hundred things go wrong at once and you've got to get it back up and running. But um, as far as the artists that are involved, I mean, we got amazing feedback from all kinds of people saying, it's the first time I've put my art out there, or I've put my art out in a hundred places before, but never in a place like this, and oh my gosh, thank you so much. Just the gratitude from the artists who are participating um, in that, and giving them a whole canvas to create on is really a powerful thing for everybody involved. So other than accessibility, um, you think that they're really kind of... Um Similar, you know, art outside, art outside obviously being more accessible, but uh, in the sense of like creating the open palette and letting you explore and find things uh, in the same kind of way. I think there are definite parallels. Now, you know, knowing Tyler as well as I do, I know he's kind of veered away from burn events, at least for the last few years, and I don't want to speak for him, but. Um, I don't think he he I don't think he would say that they are doing the same thing, but I de I think there are definite parallels, and I think there's definitely they are the same in that they open people's eyes to think outside the box and to reconsider things like you know most people think of art as being in a museum or a gallery as something separate that we have to go to in order to see it instead of having an understanding of art as something that is integrated into every part of our lives. And I think that's a valuable thing that both the Burn events are doing and an event like Art Outside is that it helps integrate art into an awareness. Like we, we can access this art, so to speak, in everything we do. It's an experience. It's not just a piece that we encounter in the forest or on the playa or wherever. Like it is an experience and a certain way of engaging with the world that gives our life more meaning and it's the way it's the way we look at the world that makes all the difference and I think burn events are outside things like that even the Chinati Foundation is very much into making the experience the piece of art and not I mean the art is the mechanism by which we have that experience right. so I think that's probably the common thread through through all of those places uh, that actually it reminds me, interestingly enough, uh, maybe on this little tangent, of the Malcolm in the Middle episode. Did you ever see that one? Oh, yeah, and they had a cactus, right? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah, the, the Malcolm in the Middle Burning Man episode, which I, just know, I thought was fantastic. It had this moment where, like, um, the mother, you know, a type of typical mom character for a sitcom, uh, it's like Burning Man, she's loving it, and she, like, is in the RV, you know, serving their breakfast one day, and it's like, look, I added food coloring, I'm an artist. <laughs> like, hey, experiencing art, yeah, so. Yeah, and then the dad is, is grumpy and, and disgruntled, and then that becomes the art, right? It becomes a performance, yeah. or at least other people perceive it as a performance, and so it really, I think it challenges our notion of what art is, and it helps us 
encounter everything in our day-to-day lives as potentially a piece of art. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And, and I, I'm fully dedicated to helping places and people who, who understand that and who are trying to bring that into the world. And, and I guess that kind of uh, ties into just art in general, which is something I've, uh, I want to talk to you about especially because of your involvement in art and all of your studies and work in that area. But I don't know, I'm going to ask a pointed, huge, insane Uh-oh. question. Uh, <laughs> where do you see art going mm. now? Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually, when I've given a... a, a considerable amount of thought. Can I be a philosopher for a moment? Sure, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there are a number of philosophers, most notably Hegel, I think was the first who claims that after, well for Hegel, it's after Goethe, art reaches its climax, or with Goethe, art reaches its climax, and then proceeds on a long, steady decline towards its, what some interpret as art's death. And for Hegel, he really is saying that art becomes a thing of the past, that it no longer retains its relevance in order, its its relevance and its ability to communicate the truth to us. And there are a lot of thinkers that that think the modern museum culture and is indicative of art's death, or at least its decline, and that art in a museum is has lost its its spirit it's lost its power to really impact society and to 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 be a mechanism for any kind of real experience um so you know as an artist i'm very troubled by this idea that art can no longer have any real relevancy and so i i've spent a lot of my time in my, in my classes trying to reconcile this because as an artist, I mean, I want to be sure that what I'm doing is relevant and valid and important. Um, so I think that, well, I mean, it seems to me there's, there's some, there's some, we're, we're in a pivotal time right now. And I mean, just with the current events that are going on socially, economically, politically, environmentally, I mean, we are faced with huge decisions that can impact really the existence of all life on this planet. I mean, not to put it in grand terms or anything. (laughs) Sometimes you gotta go big to be accurate. Yeah, but I think, I think art that exists on the fringes of society still retains its relevance because it is still a central feature that brings people together. And society is one of the tenets of Burning Man. Society convenes around the art. It engenders a sense of participation. It creates roles. And I think, I, I, I would really like to think, I mean, although Hegel does provide incredibly compelling evidence to support his claims that art is a thing of the past, but. I really, I felt in my own experience and by talking to other people who I think have felt very similar things, that there's something very powerful when you encounter, when you're wandering around on the playa at night and you encounter this thing that is, has no reason to be there and is 
unexplainable and completely unexpected and it forces you to consider things in a new way and it gives new meaning and new context not just to the piece of art but to you to you you as an individual as a member of the society and I don't know I mean I think in a large part that's where art is going and has the potential to go is to redefine who we are as people as individuals and as a community and as a nation even and to embody the diversity of ideas and beliefs and styles and backgrounds and all of these things and to make some sort of sense out of them. Okay. Going back to what you said about uh, the art in the gallery and the museum, mm -hmm. uh, how do you think about, um, almost ties into art outside and art out there, but uh, the, the popular um, guerrilla artists, I don't know if you call them guerrilla or graffiti or whatever, but uh, Banksy or the guy who does the Obey stuff, you know, that like focus a lot on a, putting their art up, not necessarily legally, just, you know, out there in public sphere uh, for, you know, mass consumption, not necessarily for any type of reward or anything. Or like the, the guys in Boston who did little digital faces and yeah, stuff yeah. and got the whole city shut down for a day. It's ridiculous. I am a huge fan of radical acts of self-expression in ways that are not dangerous or vandalizing other people's property. I mean, I, I love going to New York because there's great poster art up and graffiti and all. I mean, there are a lot of cities that have great, but New York is one in particular. And it's like walking down the street in a hurry and you turn a corner and, oh my gosh, there's a really amazing piece of, of poster art that someone glued up on a brick wall in the middle of the night. And wow, like what meaning does this have for me today? And like being able... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I definitely support people, whether it's, can I say it, whether it's legal or not. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> um, not, I'm not, I'm not encouraging anyone breaking the law, but I think that putting up art in places where people don't expect it to be is really important today because it is taking it out of the context of a museum or gallery and it's forcing people to reconsider and p people who might not ever go to museums or galleries, like taking it out and putting it someplace where they would never normally encounter it, I think is is powerful. I think there's a, a lot that can be gained from that and, and really get people, but it shakes people up and it, it threatens them sometimes, it scares them sometimes. Like you can see with the case in Boston, um, you know, but I think that's good. I think we should be, shaken up sometimes by art and to maybe be a little scared of it or humored by it, laugh about it. I, I, I think that's all. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> all right, and you know what? This is, uh, taking that in different directions, the guys who did the Boston thing, I remember that was a, uh, yeah, obviously a piece of guerrilla art, putting up little like magnetic light brights flashing and uh, all that, but they were part of a street team, and the art was actually promotion for yeah. you know, a, a show. And how do you feel about uh, that kind of intersection of you get to create guerrilla art, but your guerrilla art is uh, commercial product? Yeah, it's become appropriated. Well, this is something that is, you know, uh, anything that's underground or subcultural or whatever is going to eventually become appropriated by the mainstream culture. It's like you yeah. look at um, the you know, the ripped jeans and whatnot that people 
at one time more because they couldn't afford jeans without holes in them. But now you can go buy $150 designer jeans that are already ripped for you, you know? So there's always this mainstream appropriation of whatever is underground. And I think that's going to keep happening. But that's also the challenge for us to keep innovating and keep finding new ways to shake people up and, and rattle a box and try to get as many people out of that box as possible because it's suffocating in there and it's causing a lot of destruction for the rest of us. But yeah, but then, uh, I mean, maintain a different, obviously it's a thing that was appropriated, you know, by a company to be done, but then again, uh, is it okay sometimes for some things to be uh, appropriated uh, in the sense of like, corporation was paying these guys to put the pieces up but the pieces are still pretty cool you know especially because they freak people out so much yeah and so could it be in the sense that uh sometimes even if the intentions aren't necessarily noble and pure they can still end up doing good things or do you think that the uh, appropriation itself kind of sullies the whole process well i don't i don't know that i would pass judgment like appropriation is bad but i mean look this corporation, I don't even know who it was, but they could have hired any artist in this world to do what they wanted for their ad campaign. And they chose, they were burners, right? These two yeah, guys yeah. who did this. And they chose them because they have a unique understanding, probably because they are burners, or at least related to that fact. And that, to me, indicates some degree of vision on their part. Like, let's get these people who are kind of on the edge, on the fringe of our society, and let's push it. I think that's, I, I mean, I, there, there could be instances where the intention is definitely impure and, and not for good, and not, you know, I mean, it, their, their intentions could be for evil, for all I know. I, I don't know, and maybe I want to know. I, I want to know that. I want to know what their intentions were, but um, I think being willing as a corporation to kind of take that chance. It's a risk. I mean, it was a risk for them to do that. And I think that speaks to some level of vision or understanding about what art can do for us. Interesting. I saw this being circulated around a bit on Tribe. Uh, it was the last time I saw it, like, kind of post around to a bunch of people. but. Uh... It's apparently some old document from like way back. It's like the image people have now is like a GIF of a mimeograph sheet, you know, that hmm. was posted up everywhere. But it was uh, the Cheap Art Manifesto. Heard of this? Oh. Like art is like bread and it should be cheap and available to the masses, and, you know. I think I, I, I did see that. I don't, I can't remember the details of it though. Okay. But could you kind of give me the rundown? Uh, let me see. Well, best as I remember it is, uh, yeah, art. Art is like bread. It's a life-sustaining, uh, nourishing thing, and therefore it should not be expensive. It should not be kept away for the elite in you know, certain circumstances. It should be as available, as cheaply, as commonly as possible, because the more people consuming the art, the better. Hmm. I can see the contrapoint to that being that, well, you know, then you end up with plain white bread art that could, you know, necessarily not like give the aesthetic and opening motivate. It could be like bad television episodes, you know. Yeah, sure. But, uh, but I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see where you fall on that spectrum. Well, you know, I'd like to sell my work for thousands of dollars, <laughs> but, 
but I also make work that I can sell for $20. And I think, I think the thing is that really we need to discard of this notion that art is exclusive or art is something separate from the things we encounter every day. I mean, in tribal societies and stone tool technology times, like the tools that they made were pieces of art and they were held in a kind of sacred light in some cultures and that it's not just something you hang on your wall or put on a pedestal and yeah, I don't know I mean I don't, I'd have to really give that some more thought um, to, to produce any kind of I mean, I don't even know if I could come up with a conclusion to that. I think art should be accessible. It should be integrated into our daily lives in a way that we can be open to encountering everything as, as art. And that shouldn't cost any money. That should be free. Um, but I also, as a working artist, you know, I want to make a living doing what I love doing bread. Yeah. yeah and you know so and it takes the, it depending on what kind of art you make it takes skill it takes tools I mean I've worked as a photographer I have tons of equipment that I need to produce a lot of my work and it takes years and years of training and practice and failure and lots of I mean if you're a good artist it takes lots of deep hard internal work on yourself and these these are things that should not be taken lightly. I mean, and I think a good artist is very much engaged in all of these processes from the spiritual work on yourself to the tools of the trade to the techniques and the processes that are most successful for their whatever work they're producing. And and I think that's, you know, I think it's fair to, to let an artist make a living doing that. A, a good living, a sustainable living, a comfortable living. I think I think that's okay, but I also think that there's a way to live your life so that art becomes a thing that is accessible and that is free and that is everywhere if you're looking the right way. Okay. All right. Um, getting back to burner art. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we'll do this in two sections: one for Burning Man, one for Flip Side. Okay. Uh, but at each of these events, through all the times you've been there, various mm-hmm. experiences, could you pick a particular piece of art that you would consider your favorites? Hmm. Or might have the most impact, however you want to define that? I was really, um, last year, I'll start with Burning Man. Last year at Burning Man, I, I was very impacted by David Best Temple. And I had a moment with him that was just, there were no words spoken. I mean, there, I think I wrote about it in my Afterburn report. Um, but there was some really deep personal work that was going on within myself that was very much reflected in the intricacy and the time and like the detail of that temple and then burning it. And, and releasing all of that. I mean, there, there was something really important for me with that. Um, I also, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of Shrine's work, uh, who's an artist out of LA, and 
he did the temple this year at Burning Man. And he also came down for a couple of weeks to, to make some installations at Art Outside this past year. And it was great to get to know him and to, to see him work and, and how he works and to be more familiar with his process. Um, so I, I think he can do no wrong as far as the stuff he's producing right now. And uh, he made a beautiful piece for lightning in a bottle uh, what, that was two years ago. I was out there. So um, those would be those would be two pieces. Although I mean, I've wandered around Burning Man every year I've been there and just discovered things that I don't expect and that really like for that moment are the perfect thing for me because it's a journey. I mean, it's a spiritual journey for a lot of people. I think if you do it right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, there's some. There's some work you're doing on yourself when you go to Burning Man, and and the art helps reflect that. And I think good, I think good art out there helps reflect that. Of course, last year the the pyrotechnics for the oil thing oh, were just phenomenal. Aside from the pollution and everything it released in the air, I don't even want to think about that because that could have very easily been one of the best fireworks display ever. <laughs> but yeah, but a flip side piece. It's, uh... Oh, I mean, I always like the effigy the best at flip side. Um, there, well, you asked me that question and I draw a blank. Um, my first year, and I think it may have been there the next year, was that little tiny one-person meditation room. Do you remember? It's like a little Tibetan hut. Little, it was like a little mini Tibetan temple, and one person. Sitting Indian style. I think that was 05. Yeah, and it was just out on that lower field, and it was just sitting there, and you could go and go in and meditate. I really like that one. Um, The idea of having a space that only accommodates one person, like a very solitary place in in such a big, crazy event with so many people. And I kind of like that. I like the small, intimate spaces at at those events. And and Mm -hmm. my greenhouse was very much. And, and, ten, and you know, I intentionally made a small, intimate place because the art on the playa is is huge usually and um, overwhelming sometimes. And I always like to find the place of refuge where I can just go to get away. And for me, oh, there goes my dog. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yeah, we got the birds screaming in the first half. <laughs> so, um, flip side, yeah. So I like that little that little meditation place and I love Star and Dan did a project that same year um the what was it the bathtub of tears where you could write the thing that you wanted to let go of and and then they burn the bathtub in the effigy fire um I I like that piece I like the magic of that piece how do you feel about the culture of burn events what what are things you like what things you don't like about it um well, I think, I think I, I, I didn't consciously explore that question in my afterburn report, but I think, I think the answers are all there. I mean, taking art to Burning Man was a huge thing for me, and it took a lot of time and energy and money and effort to to make it out there with a piece of art, and the reactions to the art and and to my efforts, really, I think distill 
down the, the best and the worst parts of the burn culture. I think on the upside, there's a huge amount of support and a huge amount of resources and skill and people willing to give whatever they have. When you've got a project going, people, I mean, I, I got help from all kinds of people. Um, even just someone saying, good job, keep up the work, keep up the good work. You know, sometimes I was in such a devastated place that that had a huge impact on me. Like They don't even realize how big of an impact that, that made for me to keep going. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's just a huge amount of really wonderful things that people give in all kinds of ways to everybody out there. So, I mean, that's really one of the most powerful things I've experienced in my lifetime. Um, there are also a lot of yahoos who I think are not particularly involved in the burn culture, so to say, and they go out there and they take the gift economy to mean, to mean a stealing economy, you know, like, well, I can take this instead of waiting for someone to give it to me. I mean, my installation was stolen from repeatedly over and over and over again, and people would come and leave offerings there, very personal offerings. I mean, uh, Shanta left some ashes of a friend who had passed, and um, someone stole those out of the greenhouse. I mean, it just made no, it just made no sense to me, and it was vandalized, and people would just, like, come and knock things over, and it just, it was really hard for me to reconcile. Like, how are we in such an open, inclusive, creative community here where this stuff is happening on such a level? I mean, that was the year that the man was set on fire early. Um, and where, uh, oh, shoot, what, what that, the artist who does those really amazing wood carvings... Oh, um, yeah, the stuff was burned, Statue of Liberty and all that. Yeah, yeah, and he, I mean, he does that for a living and, and makes lots of money doing that, and I mean, all of his tools were destroyed, and I, I mean, it's just, it's senseless. Like, why would you come to such an amazing place where there's so much potential for really unbelievable levels of connection with other human beings and with yourself, and, and why would you destroy or at least like be reckless with what other people are trying to do out there. So that that was really hard for me um, last year. And it's a huge theme, that conflict between those two, like the really amazing feedback and the, the giving of whatever people had to give and then the, the taking and the vandalizing and like the, all, like the conflict between those two things was, was really hard for me to reconcile. And I still, like, I, you know, when I think about it now, it still kind of stings a little bit. But, um, you know, that's just part of it. And I guess in any city that size, those things are going to happen. And maybe they happen with less frequency at Burning Man. I don't know. I haven't looked at crime statistics or anything from Black Rock City, but... <laughs> uh, this brings up something uh, else, just because I... You know, the meaning you're under this, the greenhouse mm -hmm. that you've brought to uh, several places now, but Burning Man being the biggest trip. What is it like to bring, uh, you know, you, you say it's small, but obviously it's a very intense project and intricate and needs to be put together and yeah. uh, all the amount of labor and effort required. Uh, 
So in that regard, I would say it's major. So what's yeah. it like to bring a major piece of art to Burning Man? It was really amazing. Um, I had to ask for a lot of help because I was physically uh, recovering from shoulder surgery. So I was limited in what I could physically do. I mean, and I drove the community truck out there that year too, which you helped a whole bunch with the the loading. I mean, and organizing people and. I mean, it's that. It's like that community truck came together at the last minute, <laughs> and it got a whole bunch of people's art and camping gear out there in beautiful fashion. Everyone chipped in and, and helped, and I really felt like taking art out there helped, well, it really validated a lot of things for me. Um, it validated me in ways that I had not gotten elsewhere in my life, and just the the response, I mean, even when I was just in the in the grant writing stage and people reading my grant proposal saying, well, this sounds like a really cool project, I want to send a piece of art to be included or I want to help or I've got lights or pots for plants, you know, or whatever. And people would just start giving me things to put in the greenhouse and and I started hearing people's stories and, you know, like, uh, there's a piece of Palo Santo, which is a sacred tree from Ecuador, and it's really hard to find a piece of this wood because you're not allowed to take it out of the country. I mean, it's protected. Um, but one of my friends c- kind of found a piece on the ground while they were in Ecuador and brought it back and like, had this whole story to tell about this one thing, and I ended up, that piece was something I came back to every day and smudged the space with that, and just the, the smell of that Palo Santo became the smell of Burning Man for me last year. And then hearing about Shanta's friend whose ashes were in the greenhouse. And like I started hearing all of these stories from people and I would hang around the greenhouse and um, go check on things. I'd stumble upon people. And uh, one night I strolled up on my bike and I saw, I saw a pair of man's boots right outside the threshold. And there was this Australian man sitting in there crying and he was having some kind of crazy, amazing experience. And it took him a, a while to even realize that people had just rolled up. <laughs> and I thought, like when I saw his boots outside the threshold, it's like, wow, that he felt some kind of reverence for this space where he had to take his boots off. And when he finally, I introduced myself as the artist of this piece and he was just like, he hugged me. He's like, thank you, I've never felt understood like this piece makes me feel understood it makes me feel recognized for you know whatever he he had gone through in his life and and he wanted to show me something in the greenhouse he's like this this thing right here but he insisted that I take off my shoes because it was sacred and how dare I wear my shoes inside this sacred space and I don't know if that answers your question at all but I, I, I mean that actually ties really well into your concept of uh, art in the public sphere before. I mean, imagine um, in Austin, you know, somewhere, a place where someone would feel such reverence and such, you know, need to do, take off their shoes before entering and cry yeah. when there, you know. Or to even be open to that possibility, yeah. you know, like it's, it's rare. And I think that's, I, I mean, I can't think of a single space here that really 
I mean, there are definite, that they're sacred places in this town for sure, but... They would inspire that kind of just intense... Yeah, that that very concentrated, intense experience, an immediate, just like immediate experience. Yeah, so I mean, taking art to Burning Man was huge, and it was, I I applied for a grant from, uh, from Burning Man, I didn't get one, but... Lady B's comment to me was like, "Have faith in this community. There's so much that so many people are willing to give. Like, you go and ask for what you need from a hundred other places, and that's exactly what I did. And I had everything I needed, and it was really a really powerful experience for me to have that kind of response. And within a week, I sent out a call for art for people to include." offerings or art in the greenhouse and I had people I just sent it out locally pretty much I had people from all over the world responding within a week and I mean hundreds of emails that I was sorting through and figuring out what's what and it was like it just spread so quickly and it was really amazing that oh my friend from San Francisco got this from her friend in Austin and thought I would love it and I'm in Portugal or you know I mean it's just the synchronicity and the connections that really, I mean, if it, it, I think that when called upon, this community could do anything. I really do. Cool. All right. Artistically, what are your ambitions uh, for upcoming burns and for your artistic pro- progress in general? Um. I don't have any plans for any burn specific art. I it's something I'd like to come back to, but right now I don't know. I mean, it could change. I could be out there with the biggest piece I've ever made in my entire life next year. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any plans for that, but um in general, I've taken everything I've learned from Burning Man and some of the basic principles about art being uh interactive and um, engendering a sense of participation and making the viewer an active co-creator. I've really taken those themes and those ideas and incorporated, incorporating them into the pieces I'm making just out here in the default world. Um, and I'm right now I'm trying to secure a, an exhibition space for a solo show probably this time next year. And I've got some things kind of in the works that I'm just making some preliminary mental sketches about and I've got an old piano that's beautifully decayed that I really want to use in a piece and um, I have a lot of refuse from Guy's guitar, I've got a bunch of his guitar strings and old harmonicas and posters that got rained on that are of no use to anybody else and I really, I really want to do something with all of that and, and make some kind of installation. And I'm, I'm very much into um, not leaving any trace as, as, as much as I can. And I'm, I'm, my, my goal is to develop a system in my garage to sort my waste, all of my kind of non-toxic, non-stinky waste that I produce in my own household. And I want to give new life to these things that would have gone to a landfill and, you know, spent the rest of their life there not decaying properly. 
and um, that's kind of the direction I'm I'm going with my art now and I don't I mean it feels really big and it still has not really taken form just yet and once I get back from Chinati uh, at the beginning of next year I'm just gonna go full force into into doing that next show and hopefully I'm looking at some galleries around town some good galleries that I'd really like to to do a show at and hopefully I'm also looking for representation too um, somewhere and you know that might be a five-year project but um, you know I definitely want to make it a sustainable practice fi financially ec ecologically um, spiritually sustainable so yeah cool excellent and uh, now tying it in, I'd like to know your take. What does it take to be a rock star? Mm. Jeez. I don't know. I'm not one. <laughs> I'm not trying to be ah, one. Ah, More cowbell. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is hosted at lancehunter.net slash flip. That's flip with one P. To email Flipped Out, email flippedout at gmail.com. And that's Flipped Out with two Ps. Thank you all for listening. Now, go be spectacular. Spectacular.